Good morning, you guys, and a welcome back to you. Happy Mother's Day. I have one issue that I'd like to take with the prayer that we put up on screen. I happen to believe that all of our mothers here at TSN actually are perfect. So if you agree with me, say amen and amen. I think they're the best moms on the planet, and we happen to be selected by God for perfect motherhood here at our site, which is amazing. Uh, would you bow your head and pray with me, and we're going to dive in as uh, V set us up so nicely a couple of minutes ago there. Pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to study you and to study Job and to look at parallels between you, because you both suffered in different ways, and you both uh, had your overcoming uh, moments where you conquered death. And today in particular, God, as we talk about how Job struggled with that idea and how he very intimately reached out to you and what he said to you and how he said it, and we ask God that uh, something would resonate inside of us, the music of our hearts would resonate with yours. Uh, that would be our prayer. Uh, we ask that you do bless the moms today who are in our congregation and let them hear uh, beyond everything else the message of renewal that you have for us, rebirth, new life because that's what you have for all of us through Jesus. And we thank you uh, because of him for our moms here today and for uh, the kids that you've brought forth to this place through them. In your name we pray. Together we say amen and amen. Well, you guys will recall, of course, the story of Job in a nutshell is the idea that Job uh, had this perfect life. He had the perfect family. He had all the cattle you could ever want. He had this great big spread, and all the angels in heaven were sitting around with God one day, and one of the angels, who is called the accuser, also known as Satan, said, you know what? If you take some stuff away from Job, he's going to turn on you and curse your name. So God called his bluff and let all that happen. And so where we find Job is in the midst of suffering great loss, not only of his estate, but also to his personal health. His body became infested with all these sores, and it was really you know, gross to talk about, but he would sit around all day long and just kind of scrape those scabs, almost like you know, when one of your kids picks off a, you know, a really big mosquito bite and it just gets all nasty. Right? So that's what he was doing all day long. And the interchanges that he was having uh, with God and with his friends were very interesting and very informative. In fact, today, there's a way that Job enters into conversation um, with his friends where he actually asks for something very important. So I just want to step aside for a second and read this scripture for you. In Job chapter 14, starting in verse 13, the Bible says, If only you would hide me, God, Job talking to God, hide me in the grave and conceal me till your anger is past. If only you would set me a time and then remember me. If someone dies, will they live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait for my renewal. And that word also kind of means release to come. And the idea was that Job was to the point of where he wished for death. He had suffered so much loss and so much difficulty and his skin bothered him so much that he wanted to die. He wanted it all to end. And the question for you and me as we look at the story of Job is, can we identify with any of that? Now, most of us out here in suburbia have lost something or suffered something or dealt with something over a significant period of time. Have you ever wanted to die before? Have you ever had that experience? 
where you just wanted whatever you were suffering to stop. If you have, then you can identify with Job. And Job was at a point where he wanted it to stop, and he just point blank asked God, why don't you go ahead and bury me in the, in the ground? Don't forget me, but go ahead and put me in the ground and end the life that I have right now in suffering and go ahead and just put the whole thing to the end. Basically, what he was doing is asking God to put him out of his misery. But sometimes we're tempted to do the same thing. We are tempted to hang on to the old us that will someday die in little doses, in little pieces. Now, it's, it's perfectly normal for people to enter seasons of doubt, depression, where you're downcast, you're downhearted. It's perfectly human. It's part of our human condition in our fallen state to go there. And at the same time, the spiritual side of that we really can't ignore. There's something deeper that we enter into when we go into suffering where we're tempted to hang on to the old us so much that we want that suffering to end and be released from the effects of it. We are just like Job in this way. Whether we've actually suffered the same way Job has or not, we, a part of us, hangs on to the idea that if my life could just be over, this suffering could end. Now, maybe you're in a position today, especially on a beautiful day like Mother's Day, where we stop and we remember our little blessings. And some of our little blessings have grown up and become big blessings, right, Hunter? And so, and so we look at the blessings that God has placed in our life, and we thank God for those. And it's hard for us to think about a subject like this. But if you've been around on the planet long, you probably don't have to think too hard back to a time when you hung on to a little bit of the idea that you really just wanted the whole thing to close and to end perhaps even the same way Job did. You know, Paul could really identify with this idea. When he's talking to the Corinthians, he says something about his relationship with God when he's suffering. We know that Paul was suffering with some kind of infirmity. He had some kind of disease. We think it might have been a skin problem or an eye problem. Maybe it wasn't as bad as Job's issue. But Paul reached out to God three times and asked God to take it away. Now, raise your hand if you want, if you've ever asked God to take this thing that you're going through away. I have done that. I've done it more times than I can remember. There were times when I was so desperate that I wanted my life to end, number one, and number two, I asked God to take those things away in those moments. This is way, way back in my history, and I'll confess it to the whole room. There were times when I felt both of those things and said both of those things to God. God, I just want to die right now. Will you take this away from me? And what did God do? What God always does. Look at what Paul says when he asks God three times. He says, but God said to me, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now here at our site, we've dealt with the idea of the why of suffering. The idea that God builds perseverance in us. He builds character, which is a deeper trust in him, in us. And this leads to what? It leads to faith. It leads to more faith in us. And we've also talked about the how of dealing with suffering. 
how God calls us into dialogue with him, to talk with him, also known as prayer. Spending time in prayer, just pouring out ourselves to him when we're in the midst of suffering. We see that as the how to deal with suffering. And at the same time, Paul is now laying out God's plan for suffering. And the idea that God always intended for us to be allowed to go through times of suffering and weakness so that, and just look at what the scripture says, his power can be made perfect. Now, if you're a theologian at the very most basic level and you step back away from this statement, you could ask yourself the question, well, hold on, isn't God's power perfect already? Because God is perfect, we believe, right? But here's the idea. God's power has to be implemented in you. God's power is made manifest in you. God's power is funneled through you. And the way that happens is by us understanding what our limitations are. If our lives were perfect like Job's was, then we might start to be tempted to think that we are God or that we are perfect, or there's nothing weak or wrong with us. And so God allows weakness and suffering into our life. And in doing so, as our faith grows and our trust grows in him, his power perfectly does its work in us and through us. Well, here's the idea. The idea is that that power grows inside me and then is funneled through me to other people. And it, it kind of... Uh, kind of looks like this in a way. The death that we are tempted to hang on to, the old us, we must realize, we must understand, and we must believe and trust, and we must begin to act as if it's true. The death inside you and me is dead. Now, even though my body or my mind or my spirit or my soul or my finances or my marriage or my job relationships or whatever may be suffering, may be tied up in agony in some way, form, or fashion. The death that I was once captive to is dead. It's been rendered completely dead and gone. And so there's a change that happens in my spirit, in my mind, in the way I deal with life. From that point on, I begin to see my life as one that has been resurrected from the grave. Even if I don't feel like it, even if I'm captivated by my suffering, even if my suffering has all of my attention and there's a part of me that wants to go back to the old me and die a little bit inside, Jesus reminds me, I conquered death for me and for you. I came out of that grave and I left the grave clothes behind. And the death that you and I leave behind is not a death that is temporary, but permanent. Here's the idea. The idea is, even in the midst of suffering, what God has placed inside you is new. It's not the old you microwaved, reheated, or restored in some way. You died when you were baptized and that water hit you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible says you died with Christ. So the old part of you that wants to lean on bringing that suffering to a close in your own way, 
is dead. Now, you may look at that and say, well, how is that good news to me? Well, the good news of it comes in Jesus. Look at what the Bible says in John chapter 7. Jesus says these words. He says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said publicly in a loud voice, listen to these words. He said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers, not trickles, not drips, but rivers of living water will flow from where? Within them. Not around them, but from within them, inside them. Now, if you take a look at this concept of water, I want you to maybe think of it like this. If you like mineral water, you're one of those people who likes what I call fancy water. It's more important than water that's just taken out of the tap and put in the bottle. Mineral water is mineral water. Why? Well, duh, because it's got minerals in it. What kind of minerals are in the mineral water? Do you know? What's an important one? Well, calcium is one. Magnesium is another. In fact, if you were to drink mineral water, then you would receive some of the minerals that your body needs to do what? To be healthy, to have better, more stronger bones, and just better health overall. In fact, Back in Bible times, people used to bathe in water that was rich in calcium, and it would heal their skin, and they would drink this water, and it had this calcium and other minerals in it that would heal stomach issues that they had. For us, it's kind of like drinking mineral water versus regular old water. You find things like calcium and magnesium in them, and in plain old water, you just find um. There's just not as much benefit to it. Now, we all need to drink water. We are 75% or more water in our bodies. We need to drink water, right? But if we drink mineral water, we're drinking um with more stuff on it, calcium and magnesium. We're getting more benefits from the water, right? It's uh, kind of like this. If you think about this story about a teacher who was teaching the concept to a class, it worked like this. The teacher basically put four worms inside test tubes with different kinds of liquids. The first worm was put in beer, the second worm in wine, the third worm in whiskey. That would probably have been my preference. And the fourth worm was placed in mineral water. That's not regular tap water, um. That's tap water with what in it? Calcium and magnesium, right? So it's good for you. So the next day, the teacher shows them the results. The first beer, first worm in beer was dead. The second worm in wine was dead. Third worm in whiskey was dead. Fourth worm in mineral water was alive and healthy. Surprise, surprise. So what's the moral of the story? What's the moral of the story? So the teacher asked the class the question, what do you think we should learn from this experiment? Child responds, whoever drinks whiskey, wine, or beer does not have worms. <laughs> But in the end, you cannot ignore the fact. You can't ignore the fact. You can't ignore the fact that there's something inside of you that is more than what you are when you trust in Jesus. And that something comes through your suffering and your weakness. It's absurd, but it's true. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 12, back to that scripture. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Boast about them. Now look, not hide them, 
boast about them so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for his sake, I delight in weaknesses. It's backwards. It's upside down. It's the idea when we understand that the death inside of us is gone, but that the suffering going on around us is purposeful and meaningful and powerful so that Christ's power can come to the surface and may rest on us. Verse 10, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. Now, what kind of suffering is Paul referring to there? When somebody insults you, does that hurt your skin like the sores that Job had? No. What does it hurt? It hurts your heart. It hurts your spirit. When somebody insults you and calls you something that you're not other than God's child, when you go through hardships, what does that hurt? That could hurt your body. It could hurt your finances, right? We don't know. It could be all of those. Persecutions, what does that mean? If you are sharing your faith or your faith is somehow public and somebody comes against you because of that, decries you or slanders you because of that. I know people in this room who other people won't hang out with and won't be with because they're Christ followers. And we've known people through the history of the church who've been persecuted, who've been, uh, people have been battling against them because they had faith. When all of this sort of thing happens, these difficulties happen, we call that suffering. And Paul says in that moment that when we are weak, we are strong, not because of our strength, but because of Jesus's strength and his power. So I want to put this before you today, these ideas. If you take nothing else from the message today, please take a look at this and remember this. Sharing your vulnerability with somebody is like sharing water with someone who is thirsty. And then, on top of that, sharing the work of Jesus that he's doing in you is like sharing the mineral benefits. It's like going from um to calcium. It's like going from um to magnesium. It's like going from ho-hum to health. It's like going from getting by to thriving. The idea that Christ's work in you and in your weaknesses and in your sufferings is purposeful and meaningful and powerful and brings to the forefront all the work that God intends to do in you and through you. You know, we hope in Jesus because of this fact. But just like anybody else, sometimes you and I forget that God is there. Sometimes the suffering makes us uh, have the temptation to forget that God is purposeful about allowing our suffering. Isn't that true? And in that moment, God is still there. God is reminding us, working in us and through us, taking us from a position of despair to a position of hope. So I want to ask you that today. Where is your heart when it comes to suffering? Whether you are suffering in something or through something today, where is your heart in regards to that suffering? Is it something that you try to avoid or try to overcome on your own power? If it is, then you have the same human condition that all of us do. And now we are called to simply lay that down. 
so that the power of another may live in and shine through each one of us. Sometimes that's not easy to do because we're human. But thanks be to God, that is why we have Jesus who works in us and through us without giving up on us, but championing himself in each one of our hearts. So I'd invite you to just pray with me now and just worship with me now for a minute. And then we're going to sing. If you'd like to stand and sing or just sit and listen, feel free to do that. But I'd like you to pray with me and let's contemplate what it is we think about our own suffering and our own weakness. Let's do that now. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for the power that comes through me, that lives in me, and that, in fact, as the Scripture said, is poured out on me. It is dwelling in me. The power of Christ, not my own power, that tries to analyze and overcome suffering and weakness. God, help me to rest in you. Help me to receive from you all the power that you intend to send to me and through me. God, I trust you with that power. And I trust you to take away my imperfection and my weakness in your own good time. I know that you want me to ask you to take it away and trust you with it. But I know now why you allow it anyway. Because you love me and you intend the best for me. Now, whoever I know in my life, God, whether I'm suffering or not, let me be there for them in this way, a way that is full and informed by the power of Christ and in his name. For it's in his name we pray and together we say, amen and amen.